pick up your phone while driving and you might need to be picked up from work. Break the speed limit and you could be breaking plans with your mates. Leave L or N plates off your car and you could be left getting taxis for the next six months. So ask yourself, is it really worth it? Seven penalty points over three years will disqualify learner and novice drivers for six months. Steer clear of points and stay on the road. A message from the Road Safety Authority. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will. Begin. Hello, you're very welcome to episode one of Back on Track. Our aim is to find out how businesses have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, how they've adapted and what the outlook for each sector moving forward is. In our first episode, we're going to be focusing on the food industry and we've gathered a panel of experts and industry leaders to discuss what's happening. Tom Kyo is the founder and managing director of Kyo's Crisps. Tara McCarthy is the CEO of Board Bia. And Mags Kerwin is a producer at Goatsbridge Farm down there in Kilkenny. Um, Tara, I might start with you, if I, w- if I could. Could you give us a sort of a, a sense of the impact that this pandemic has had on the food, beverage and horticultural sector? Absolutely, I'd be delighted to, to do that. Um, so if I can walk through what's happened, food uh, as an industry was uh, decided to be an essential service right from the beginning. So from a production focus, we were putting all of our efforts to ensure that the production of the food could continue and be maintained. Where the challenges came particularly was in the route to market. And what I mean by that is you have a choice when you're selling food to go retail, to sell it for further processing or to sell it into food service. Food service effectively closed down overnight and many companies were very, very dependent on that. And the products that are sold in food service, Bobby, are very different or, or will very often be the premium products as well. Yeah. You know, you'll eat a steak in a restaurant, you'll eat oysters in a restaurant, you'll drink the fine, um, the fine whiskies in a restaurant and that route literally closed down. So when we're looking at the figures of this, we're trying to do different best case scenarios, worst case scenarios. But a worst case scenario could be anything to year end, the Irish food service market being down by 60 percent, multiple millions. Well, and that happened throughout the globe. Just to get those figures in context, Tara. So um, the, the sector was worth 13 billion in 2019. Exports would have been worth that. And so for the Irish market, then food service would be a, a different calculation to be around under 5 billion would be the value of the food service market. Obviously, that's not just Irish food and drink. Okay. Um, it would be all of the products that are in there, but then that to crash by to anything up to 60%. Now, that depends on the recovery as well. So these are all estimates, Bobby, as, as how things go through. But if you look then and switch for a second into retail, that was a very different scenario because you saw the bumper queues, you saw some of that stocking up that happened at the beginning. And, you know, people were, I'd say, up at least 30, 40% in retail, but not everything in retail went up either because different sections of the store, as people behave differently, anything that wasn't covered, so fresh bakery, people were a little bit nervous on at the very beginning. You see that now is all wrapped in store. You saw people were doing more bigger trips. So anything with a short shelf life, um, meant that people were only buying that once every 10 days rather than buying every two or three days. You saw people being a little bit nervous of deli or on-the-go products because they were going nowhere. So from that perspective, all of those different parts of the supermarket behave differently. But those who were in mainstream, um, mainstream retail would have got on reasonably well, but they needed that because their food service was gone. And that story, Bobby, was replicated across the globe. So yeah. this wasn't an Irish phenomenon. Every exporter, every manufacturer was hit. And then that was kind of bad enough, but it's not happening in isolation because you still have things like Brexit, you still have the challenge of sustainability, the need to innovate. All of these things are also coming at you. So it was like this fog came down over the world that had us just focused on covid but we knew there were icebergs that were waiting for us for all of the other things as well. And Tara, could I ask you that, you know, and this may sound like a weird question, but the the preparation that went on for Brexit and all the work uh, that organisations such as yourselves had been doing, has that helped us in any way? 
It has because, and, and we, we did a, a big piece on this on risk, and this is all about managing risk. If you're being technical about it and you take so much of the emotion and the drama away from it, what you're looking at doing is trying to map your supply chain and understand where the risk areas are. And the food industry has made huge progress in, in preparing for uh, Brexit. You know, we had a data there last week that said 91% of companies are now after investing significantly and preparing well for Brexit. But what that preparation means is mapping your supply chain, understanding the cost and having a plan B for every one of your suppliers. So if one of your suppliers was hit by uh, by COVID from the perspective of they their manufacturing stopped or that they let you down, that mapping of your supply chain enabled you to, show, to see where plan B was. Okay. So from that perspective, it was good. It also had people knowing their costs and knowing where to pivot away from or to and had a lot of the scenario planning done for companies. Now, planning doesn't make you immune to the consequences, Bobby, but we think that the thinking that was done over the last two to three years and the planning and investment definitely helped from the agility perspective of the food industry. And we would have thought that the reputation of Ireland as a food supplier would have come through this very strong in that retailers in the UK, retailers on the continent actually source from Ireland when their local supply base got hit. Now, let's talk to a couple of producers. Uh, I want to reintroduce uh, Tom Kyo. He's the founder and managing director of Kyo's Crisps. Uh, Tom, can you give us your experience uh, over the last three months, if you would? Here, we're, we're, uh, we're a family business here in North County, Dublin. Three main areas to the business. First of all is the farming area, where we, we grow about 400 acres of potatoes here all around North County, Dublin on the family farm. Then we have the fresh potato business where we wash, pack and prepare potatoes for the retailers around Ireland. Um, and then obviously there's the snack food business where we produce crisps here on the farm under the Kyo brand. And we also recently started to produce popcorn. I suppose we've had, it, it has affected us in different ways in different areas of the business. Firstly, I suppose looking at the farming end of the business, to be fair, the biggest effect was the good weather. We've had the earliest planting season we've ever had the COVID crisis really didn't have an effect on, on, on the farming end of things. It happened at a time where we already had our stocks in place. We already had our seeds and fertilizers. So there was no issues there. When it came to the fresh potato side of the business, this is where we started to encounter problems. But there were good problems in that there was massive spikes in demand for fresh potatoes. Ireland shifted back into the potato in a big way. And we've seen week-on-week increases uh, of 70% across the market in, in, in fresh potato wow. uh, demand. And that, that was obviously that was due to a number of reasons. Obviously, you had a bit of panic buying, but you had consumers spending a lot more time at home, which meant that they could cook uh, healthier meals uh, with their family that they normally wouldn't have done if they were commuting, etc. And also, I think that consciously, people started to eat a lot healthier. And that meant that potatoes came to the top of the table uh, when it came uh, for a carbohydrate decision for a meal much higher ahead of pasta or rice because it's a far uh, healthier carbohydrate. So net positive effect for, for potatoes. Um, the snack food side, sorry, just on potatoes there as well, as, as Tara had alluded to earlier on, there's a massive food service business uh, in Ireland uh, for potatoes. So they're the potatoes that are consumed in restaurants and takeaways, etc. Et around the country, yeah. chips or 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 processed and it, it actual it actually really showed an issue in the potato industry in Ireland in that most of that market is supplied from the UK. So when that market actually disappeared overnight, as Tara had said, uh, we actually didn't see any effect because in actual fact Irish potato growers don't supply it. So that's caused massive issues in the UK. It's caused massive massive issues in the European continent where they're trying to offload millions of tons of potatoes uh, into into animal feeds, etc., to try to get them out of stores because we have the new season crop arriving soon. Um, but in Ireland, it didn't affect us because, unfortunately, we or fortunately at this at this stage, we we don't supply our own food service market. When we look at the snack food side of the business, um, again, food service big area. Uh, the, the cafes, the insomnias, places like that that uh, obviously had to shut down overnight, and um, they accounted they they. Food service accounts for a third of, of food consumption. Yeah. And it, we're, our business was a direct representation of that. So a third of our turnover literally disappeared overnight. But fortunately, the demand, the increase in demand at retail uh, was so high that we didn't even notice the 30% disappear. It's interesting, is it not, Tom, the, <clears throat> you know, the diversification within your own business, the fact that you had three or four different sales channels 
has really helped made make it much more manageable for you. It's it's just an interesting because I think any business that has more than one string to its bow in terms of sales is better placed uh, to to deal with what comes at them. Exactly, yeah, and it's probably when I look back to my granddad's time when he was farming here. It was you know you had you had animals you had cattle you had you had vegetables you had broccoli sprouts etc you had grain and you had potatoes and some years something came right so if something did come a cropper at least it's something else to rely on something very similar happened to us here over the last four months all and, right um, and thankfully we had we had the strong retail end of the business that deals with the Irish retailers has really kept us going okay stand by and I want to talk to our third guest now who's Mike Kerwin uh, producer there at Goats Bridge Farm in Thomastown in County Kilkenny. Great okay. to talk to you, and thank you for uh, joining us. Tell okay. us, firstly, a little bit about your own business and then your experience for the last three months, if you would. Yeah, listen to Tom there and Tara. Um, I'm just, you know, I suppose, thinking about our sector. Obviously, we have um, uh, Rainbow Trout Farms. We're based here in Kilkenny. Um, uh, we have also some production units in, in County Wicklow, where we supply both retail and food service. Um, and I think, you know, and Tara would be very well aware that the, the agriculture industry has been very badly hit with market closures and disturbances. And in actual fact, I just heard a figure yesterday based on the 2019 figures and the extrapolated 2020 figures that we predict a 58% reduction in annual turnover. So not to be negative, I do think we are, um, I suppose we're facing severe challenges here in Ireland in terms of agriculture. Um, and going through it as a business a bit like Tom, you know, we saw overnight um, and 30 percent of our business go straight because we supply the food service. It's a very important element of what we do. But um, at the same time, we continue to do business in the in, in our retail stores. Um, and, and, and I suppose, you know, rather than moan and complain about all the issues, if I if I compare, uh, I suppose, our situation with our retail, with our colleagues over in the UK, where a lot of the major retailers actually shut down their fresh fish counters. Um, and in Ireland, um, they obviously managed to stay open. So we managed to, 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 to maintain and grow um, somewhat our retail space, you know. So, you Mike, know. just to ask you about, like, I presume, you know, fish stay growing. And what is the impact if you, if you have fish in ponds that are growing yeah. and you don't have sales for them? What happens? Well, well, well first of all, I, I would like to call out, uh, you know, a number of um, companies in Ireland. There's a company that supply ocean fat that supply into Super Value, for example, Dunn Stores. I mean, I know for a fact that that company uh, went to their organic oyster suppliers and put a promotion in place immediately, knowing that there was a lot of stock in water that needs to be moved. They've done likewise with us in terms of promotions and, and try to, you know, have more promotions and more frequent. You know, I mean, I, I, I will mention also a company like Lidl who put an extra Kickstart program in, you know, when we got an extra, um, you know, uh, promotion, they just put it in place. And they are looking at what they can do as well now. So it's a case of having to... <clears throat> I suppose reinvent ourselves and position ourselves as part of the solution. You know, I mean, we still want healthy people, healthy, healthy society, healthy planet. You know, so and but I do think our industry has been very hard hit because of you said it exactly. I mean, people like the the, the oysters, mussels, and a bit like our farm because we've lost all our food service. And um, we yeah. sell large trout, say one one kilo plus, to our food service, and because we hadn't been selling the level that we had been, our stock has started to build up. And unlike our, I suppose, shellfish um, and colleagues who cannot take the, the product out of the water, they have to remain in the water. We were lucky that we could take some level of the product out of the water, process it and, and, and freeze it down and store it. Whereas the guys in the, in the shellfish industry can't, which means that they have a backlog. They cannot put new seed in. You know, and then, and now with the summer coming, summer when the mid height of summer, they may possibly have a lot of issues around disease and stuff because the, you know because of overstocking, and we are somewhat similar. And the biggest issue that we have uh, is because we have a bigger standing stock of large fish in our waters, and as a result of that, we don't have the space to grade as we would. We don't have the space to to grow the smaller fish where there is a demand. So because I suppose our life cycle is twenty four months, and we production ban very carefully around that. And when you have a major disruption like COVID over the last four months, disrupts your your production planning yeah. and everything you do in terms of growth and your and your production models. So, as I said, unlike our colleagues in the UK who had no sale at one stage, 
I'm not going to complain. Look at all the, the positives. And, 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 and just when, when Tara's there, I would like to, to commend Borbia for all the really hard work they've done, you know, in terms of helping us to reinvigorate and reinvent what we do. Like Borbia were, were immediately on the game and they, in fact, for example, they have given companies like us an extra market, uh, marketing support. To okay. Help us. Well, I'm going to talk about those in just a second, Mag. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just to re-welcome everybody to Back on Track. Uh, and my guests are Tara McCarthy, the CEO of Board Bia, Tom Kyo, the founder and managing director of Kyo's Crisps, and Mag Kerwin, the producer at Goatsbridge Trout Farm. I want to really look at how we get businesses such as Mag's and Tom's uh, you know, back going again in terms of your own organisation, Board Bia. Uh, it's such it, it it it's and Mag mentioned it there how important it is to have the resources of of Board Bia for food producers. Tara, what kind of initiatives are you now going to implement that will help smaller food producers? Thanks, Bobby. I guess if we can look at this in two phases, in that there's an immediate during the COVID crisis and then there's the, the, the post-COVID crisis. And I guess from a board beer perspective, we first of all looked at um, three three parts to this. Number one is around understanding. Let's get all of the detail of data of what's happening in markets, what's happening with consumers, what's happening within sectors so that everyone has a very, very informed perspective. And we've been putting a lot of that information digitally out to companies through our website and through a a specific COVID hub, but now we're broadening it out as well on on our website. Secondly, it's around supports, and and it's about practical supports, Bobby. It's around getting cash into companies. So we fast-tracked our grants program. Um, Over 3 million euro was was available to companies. We turned around that grants within two to three weeks to get it out where companies needed it quickly. And and really what companies are looking for there is moving online, moving and changing packaging. If they were in food service, moving into retail. So we needed to be able to get that through the system very, very quickly. But it's also around mentoring because this is a new capability where you're looking at a new supply chain and companies who would be very, very familiar with food service needing to get into retail very quickly or trying to get into the consumer in a different way. They might have been at farmer's markets, etc. And the third area is around future proofing. And this is around kind of dusting yourself down and looking at the consumer again. And I guess what's really essential to keep a watch out on this, Bobby, is that we're remaining close to consumer behavior. And we would believe that if you track this consumer behavior and and, uh, both Tom and Mags have have, have touched on the different ways that consumers shopped in, in the course of this. But, you know, consumers were looking at it from how they were behaving generally because they were nervous. You had consumers, how they were shopping, and then you had consumers, how they were eating the food. So if you look at how they were shopping, they were stocking up, they were trying to stay safe all of the time. When you look at how they were consuming, both Mags and, and, and Tom referred to, they were eating better, they're eating and uh, as a family, they're eating a lot more takeaways as well, though, because they're maybe looking for a little bit of excitement. And what we're looking to do then is try and find out which of these j- changes in behavior are going to stick. You know, you hear this data, Bobby, that it'll take you 66 days to form a new habit. And we were in lockdown for that long. So what does that actually look like now? And what what behaviours will you do when you go back to normal? And how can a food company be ahead of that? And what we're trying to do then is get that into your strategy. Start to relook at your strategy, but get a business continuity mentor into you to make sure that you're checking your supply chain is robust, that you've got your product pitched at the right place and that you're ahead of the game. And what we're also doing then, because our data would tell you, Bobby, that 75% of our companies would think that there's a, a risk of a recession here, a global recession. And obviously, there's a lot of the economists who'd probably be way better qualified than me to, to talk that one through. But if there is a recession, a global recession, how will consumers behave and how can you be ready for the type of products that they will be asking you for? And we, we don't think that if there might be a recession, it'll be like the 2008-2010 recession where everybody got walloped. We think there'll be the, the haves and the have-nots because there are certain people who have not been touched by this pandemic, yeah. who actually have flourished during this, and there's others who've been wiped out. And those, the, the, mm. the behaviour of those who haven't been touched, will they save or will they spend? And will they go to restaurants? Will they actually bring the economy back into life and then allow the others to come in and those small businesses to flourish on it? So we've been looking at a lot of those new capabilities because 
I think this is going to take us a little bit of time as an industry. So we're going to have, I I think everyone was mocking the idea that we're all pivoting. Whereas I think if I go now and see what the next phase of this will be, it'll be around hybrids. And what that's going to mean is that it'll be a mix of everything being digital, but there being a, a, a physical element to it as well. We had our first hybrid event in Borbia last week when we launched our readiness radar where we had a physical event, but we had 400 people watching it on a webinar as well so that you've got both working together. How does that look like when you're trying to make a pitch to a buyer? What does that look like when you're trying to go to a trade show with social distancing going on? What does that look like when you're trying to run an event? And these are the new capabilities that we're going to have to help companies invest in digital invest in the collateral and the assets that they have that they can um, show their products off if they can't get the company to come to a buyer to come to Ireland how can they bring Ireland to the buyer so it's all of that thinking that we're doing in partnership with 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 Tom Mags and so many other companies to make sure that as the the globe comes back out of this COVID experience that the food industry from Ireland is ahead of the game and is in front of buyers to give them that reassurance to help them with recovery and essentially, it's about growth. Okay. And just on that, Tara, like small businesses don't like to borrow uh, when they're heading into recessions. And it's, it's, it's only, I think, 20% of SMEs actually have borrowings. And, you know, if we, if we look at businesses, and this is a real challenge for your organization, is to try and help the right people. So how can you identify businesses as best you can that have a better chance of survival than maybe ones that haven't? And, and, and are there some difficult decisions to be made around sectorally who you support and who you don't? I guess from our perspective, what we're looking at is being able to support as many companies as possible and, and not to be doing this type of triage. But there's so much of there's a self-select within this as well. So all of our information, all of the data and insights that we have, Bobby, we put on our website for free. So it's not a case of we screen the data out of companies. We want to get this into as many companies as possible. And then there's a whole idea of capability to absorb that information as well. So we won't impose ourselves on top of companies, but we will actively involve with them as well. And that's why we, we, we look at whether we work with companies in groups or whether we work with companies as individuals to try and re- reboot what they need as well. And what we find as well is when we create networks, so many companies, and particularly our small businesses, are incredibly generous with their insight and they share it. So it's not a case of Borbia being the the hub of all knowledge. Our whole um, concept, I guess, and way of working is to get that information out to as many people as possible and to build the network of sharing that data as well. So Mags and and, and, and Tom here are, are, are huge ambassadors of what those small businesses are and carry through generously to give a helping hand to mentor someone, to share insights with somebody. So we would say Borbia doesn't have to, to triage anybody. The industry itself, I think, pulls it together in crisis like this to try and build up. And you, you saw that when, um, with Mag's example there of Ocean Path, there's numbers of examples of industries pulling together to push the promotions through, to push insights, to push contacts right the way through here. And in all fairness, I will call out the Irish retailers and, and those operating in Ireland really pulled out all of the stops to make sure that they were helping companies to compensate, whether that was paying suppliers faster so that that cash flow issue, when they were missing a, a third or a half of their business, cash flow was reduced as an issue because they paid them faster. They did extra promotions in that. But one of the concerns at the beginning of this, Bobby, was that artisans and premium products were kind of left behind in the rush to buy um, and stock up on big things. You might have forgotten to get your farmhouse cheese or you might have forgotten to get your craft beer or you might have forgotten to get that artisan chocolate or whatever. But what happened there is so many of the retailers called that out and did extra promotions with them to try and encourage the Irish consumer, who I have to say has never been found wanting in supporting the food industry, but to encourage the Irish consumer and give them, I guess, reminders that these products were there as well. So I think from the, the, it, it, the food industry is always a tough and challenging one, but I do think it played to its strengths in this period of working together and giving a very, very good quality product to the Irish consumer. And, and just, just, just to close out this part, uh, Tara, um, Different sectors, and again, your own remit is very wide if you take it from 
horticulture, you know, to beef producers, to the likes of Tom or Mag, all who are food and beverage and horticulture, but all might be need have different needs. How do you, how do you drill down the the sort of sectoral support to make sure that you're helping the right sectors in the right way? Fundamentally, this is about expertise, Bobby. So we have ourselves structured that we start with the consumer and the market. So and everything we pull back from there. And then we have ourselves organized to have 15 offices throughout the world. But then we have sectoral experts here in, in Dublin. So that will be that we will have somebody who goes deep into the dairy sector, who goes deep into the seafood sector, who goes deep into horticulture. Yeah. And they will then work with industry in partnership with industry to make sure that we're on top of that. And, and we're very, very lucky with our whole governance structure, Bobby and Borbia, which means that we have industry on the boards of Borbia who constantly advise us on what's needed and to give us that insight and information very, very quickly to allow us to be agile as well. And within Borbia, the, the team that I'm surrounded with is fantastically agile because they're passionate advocates for the food industry. They have networks within the food industry that keeps us with our fingers on the pulse of what's happening with regard to smaller, larger, multinational businesses um, that represent the, the Irish brand. And I guess it's being close allows us to make the right choices as often as possible. Now, we know we get things wrong sometimes, but what we'll also do is we know that we'll be told that very, very quickly as well. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. I'm delighted to be joined by Tara McCarthy, the CEO of Board B, and Mag Kerwin from Goatbridge Farm, and Tom Kyo from Kyo's Crisps. Uh, I just want to bring Tom Kyo back in again. Tom, in relation to supports, um, you know, we've got the the uh, pandemic unemployment payment, the PUP. We've got the TWSS, uh, again, that the government initiative to pay up to 80% of staff wages. What sort of supports? Uh, I, firstly, I'd ask you, are you using either of those? And do you have any concerns about uh, those supports being tapered down or switched off? No, we're, we're, thankfully we, we, we didn't need to avail of any of government supports uh, that were available because you know, I, we actually seen a growth period during the COVID crisis. So you know, we completely fell on the other side of this. People bought a lot a more lot potatoes, they bought a lot more snack foods, and we actually hired a lot more people throughout the crisis to try to keep ahead of demand. So thankfully we were on the other side of this. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really that up to speed on any of the, the employment supports that were there, thankfully. Um, but you know, I understand and I have friends in other businesses that uh, understand they were, they were greatly welcomed. In terms, of, in terms of, I suppose, you know, okay, you've been one of the lucky ones, Tom. You've got a, a positive bounce um, out of out of the markets, the market forces as they've as they've unfurled. But what sort of supports then? You know, uh, as somebody who's done okay out of this, then wh- wh- how do you want to be supported? The most uncertain areas of the business at the moment are are really around exports. And what we've seen is, you know, about twenty four percent of our turnover in in potato crisps is overseas. Uh, the, of that, the American market would be the, the leader, followed follow by, by, the, by the Middle East. And, you know, anything, first of all, anything that was in development, everything was put on ice. Uh, mm. So, so no, no, all, no retailer wanted new products in. We were quite advanced with some negotiations with some big deals in the USA, and, and everything was stopped. And then if we look at the, the Middle East side, uh, one of our biggest customers over there are, are Emirates. And, um, you know, we're, we're the first class crisp for Emirates and um, they're the biggest airline in the world and it's a huge customer for us. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Emirates planes, uh, they, they haven't placed an order with us since, I think, last February. So, um, you know, we've and it's not just Emirates, like Lufthansa, Lingus, CityJet, that we're, we're, uh, American Airlines, we're, de- we're dealing with a lot, of, a lot of airlines at the moment and that has completely disappeared. So I suppose in relation to support, it, it's really uh, what, what I would do is focus it on, on export markets. And, you know, Tara has a fantastic uh, initiative there around uh, the fellowship program, whereby Tara has resources for, for small food businesses. 
uh, through graduate, graduates in Smart for Business School that are put into, into the markets to represent us there. And we would have a number of them on, on the books at the moment. So, so those people in the markets are actually doing their best you know, to, to visit the retailers, to try to get to get to negotiate and start it again, to see you know when we might get uh, some light at the end of the tunnel. So you know, there there is already some really good resources in place there. Okay, Mag, welcome back. And uh, just to bring you in on that, uh, in terms of supports, uh, have have you availed of any of the government supports, such as the uh, TWSS? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, we feel anything we can, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, even take, for example, Intertrade Ireland gave us some mentoring in online mentoring, you know, e-commerce, our local enterprise board gave us e-commerce support as well as business interruption and business interruption grant and, and, and let's talk about Borbia, um, okay. all the direct and indirect supports, you know, so, so we have, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I think it's, it's important that you do engage with organizations that, that do have help there. You know, I mean, even stuff, simple stuff like the market intelligence. I mean, Tara mentioned, you know, the first 88 days of COVID. They brought out an amazing report that looked at what had happened over those 88 days. They also were able to help us predict what would happen in the coming months and years ahead in terms of what would stick and what wouldn't stick. And based on that information, you know, um, we have made lots of decisions around where we're going to go, you know. So so I think the supports can be, you know, obviously financial support is a help, but the soft supports are probably even more important. You know? that, that's great to hear, Mike. Uh, t- tell me then, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the government paying uh, a percentage of the salary uh, towards mm-hmm. your workforce, if that gets tapered back or even stopped, do you know, and I, this is maybe a difficult question, but the impact of that, because we're almost in this sort of surreal place whereby if if, if government is welcomely uh, underwriting or paying uh, a lot of the salaries, that if that gets taken away, we could be in a whole different scenario. Well, from, from our point of view, we availed that for the very first few weeks, but we, we opted out of it then after a while because we were able to generate, I suppose, sales, which may not have been as quality in terms of margin, but at least, you know, um, and I suppose well, my view is, I suppose there are a lot of companies that won't be viable after this, you know, and I do question, you know, obviously, it's very, very difficult. How do you decide what companies are going to work, going to be viable or not? You know, it's, it's. I think there's a lot, a lot of dependence. And, and, and one big issue that we would have had as a company, you know, if people were um, getting a, a COVID payment, you know, I mean, um, especially if they weren't full time, yeah, it was very difficult to get to encourage those, those guys to go back to work for us if they were get, you know, if they could get the money without having to, to work, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but I suppose what we did was in terms of our, of our, our staff, we talked about the long term and I think it's very important to think about beyond the end of August, whenever that payment will, will, will end. Granted, it was a great support in terms of cash mm. flow, but I do think people have to be realistic and think beyond those payments, you know, um, and, and from our point of view, we certainly are, you know. I think that's, I think that's well said. So it, then if we start to look, I suppose, forward um, from where we are now, um, Tara, you, you, your initiatives uh, seem very well placed and seem to be very well received if we're listening to what Tom and Mag are saying there. So, so what are, have you, board B, have you got two sets of plans, uh, like most businesses, one to get you to the end of the year and then one looking further out than that? So from a, a government perspective, Bobby, we would be planning um, within a three-year strategic cycle and then obviously on a one-year plan. Yeah. But what we're now doing is every single month that we, ha- we meet with our board, we're actually updating those plans because the scenarios continuously change based on the country that we're aiming at and based on the government advice that we're dealing with. So what I mean by that is if we look at um, targeting the Chinese market, and trying to make sure that we can have a trade presence and go to trade fairs in China as we look to build up businesses. Obviously, then, if there is quarantine and there's not an ability to arrive in that market, that's going to change how you can behave. And that story gets replicated throughout uh, the world. So every single month, we're actually reviewing all of our plans to year end to see what we can do and what we've to move to digital platforms and what we can keep to physical platforms. Our preference is continuously to do that physically because our business is a people-to-people business and the food tastes 
better in real life than it does digitally. Yeah. So what we're trying to do continuously is see where we can go and then remove, move on from there. But we are planning now for next year. And what we're looking at doing is, is definitely a two-tier plan on can we do everything like we normally would? Can we receive buyers into the country? We hope that we can, and we're looking to create a, an initiative around that of actually creating moments here in Ireland for those buyers that w- might have planned to be here this year. Can we re-get them, get, re-engage with them to get them back in next year? So between March and June next year, we will have quite a, a rigorous program of inward buyer visits on the hope that people can travel. And, and, and Tara, we, just on yeah. that, it, it, like, is there now a new realism that maybe business travel will never be what it was uh, before now and that, you know, that the, the amount of people prepared to travel will be greatly reduced? Is, is that a reality or do you still think you can entice them here? We would say that it'll definitely be a reality, Bobby, to year end. Um, so we're not forecasting any big, big inward visits and we've cancelled most inward visits. However, trade fairs are not being cancelled. You know, we've got yeah. a big event in Seattle coming up in October in France. We would have a number of events uh, throughout the world. So we'll be monitoring how they go. But we fundamentally believe that people will, will want reassurance. And I, again, I'm not involved in the, the airline business or in the travel business, but I know that those businesses will be making every um, guarantee possible for people to ensure that they will feel safe traveling. And then when they come to Ireland, I guess our role is that we can make sure that that experience is as positive as possible. However, everything has to have a plan B, Bobby, and, and you're dead right. So we will be creating digital alternatives, but our preference is to have the physical. Right. And are we seeing anything from markets like China that you'd be close to Tara around, you know, anything that might give us some sort of, and I know hope is not a strategy, but we are looking for hope. Is there anything out there that you're seeing in those markets that would give you reassurance that all will be well, maybe in 12 or 18 months? I guess, Bobby, we, we always go to the data. And that's why, and, and I think Mags and Tom mentioned this, we've been tracking the behavior of consumers constant, con- continuously in the markets that we're looking to serve. So we've done quite an extensive um, consumer behavioral track in Ireland, GB, Germany, Spain, France, to try and see how the consumers behave. We're now looking at that in, in Japan, and in August we'll be looking at the Chinese market. But what the data would tell us is that recovery is happening in these markets. I think in Germany last week there was a, a publication to say that the economic bounce that's coming in from Germany is much higher than expected. The recovery of food service in Germany is much faster than expected. If we look at France, they've got their farmers' markets open, they've retail open, they've got bars and restaurants now open. Now, the summer season, and if there's a second wave, that will obviously either knock confidence or build confidence um, within those consumers. And, and, and that's the part that's difficult to predict. But I guess what we're looking for all of the time is the reassurance. Now, the concern that we would have, though, Bobby, is, and this is linked to the economic outlook, when there is the threat to economics and there's a threat of a recession, there can be a, a behavior that will bring you shop local, support your own. And that for an export oriented country like Ireland, like we export 90% of what we produce. Yeah. Whilst that's lovely in our home market, it's very challenging in our export markets where there's almost a bias towards the local equivalent. So what we have to do is build our messaging. And that's why I'm, I'm continuously speaking to this reassurance. How can we reassure consumers and, and customers throughout the world that buying an Irish food product is a very sensible and, and innovative and exciting choice to make? And that's why we do so much work with the likes of Origin Green and talking about our sustainability credentials. That's why we do so much work in the Feet in the Street and the fellowship programs that Tom spoke of to build the contacts and build the networks so that when you hear of Irish food and drink, you're hearing exciting things. So it's definitely not made our work easier, but it's definitely given us an awful lot to do in the next couple of months, Bobby. Great. Uh, Tom, there's a lot of unknowns out there and I'd just be interested... Uh, in your own uh, situation and your own thoughts around planning from, for unknowns. Like, uh, you know, somebody talked about the Dracula effect, that if you have a, a hard Brexit and, 
you know, a new pandemic, uh, a double whammy. And that is, as Tara said, a worst case scenario. But how, how are you planning, Tom, given there are so many unknowns out there? Yes, it's a good question, Bobby. And, um, you know, it, this is obviously once in a lifetime crisis, I think, that we're going through at the moment. And uh, what we've done is, is put together a COVID, you know, post-COVID innovation team. And uh, we've had several meetings. And that's really about, as, as Tara had alluded to, the consumer behaviours moving forward. Because uh, that's really what drives what we do. So, yeah. so how are consumers changing? And to be fair, I think the Irish food industry, because of the, the size of the businesses here, where most of us are all small to medium-sized businesses, and we are extremely well-placed to capitalise on these changing consumer trends because we can change so quick. Yeah. And... You know, I've I've seen it seen it across our business here already. We you know we had been working on uh, on on the idea of going online. We turned it around in two weeks. You know, a, a complete online store, top to bottom, offered into the UK, into Northern Ireland, across and across across the Republic of Ireland within two weeks. You know, amazing. So when you when you really you know, put your mind to things and, and get the little insights from Tara and her team about what consumers are doing. You can really change around very, very quickly and capitalise on that. Yeah, and so. necessity is, 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 a, is a great friend when it comes to invention, isn't it? Like you just either do yeah. it or, or it's like it's like you're looking down the barrel of a gun and you say, well, we better change this here because if we don't change, we're going to be wiped out. Exactly, yeah. And I, th- I suppose necessity has really pushed this digital change in business. So here with our team, you know, to be fair, I, I never even had Microsoft Teams or, or Zoom set up on my computer. I had no need to it. You know, I had no need for it. If I wanted to talk to, to sales, I just, I, just, I just ran down the yard and, and opened the door and had a chat with sales. We had to digitalize very, very quickly. So necessity forces to do that. And it's forced the entire population to do it. So the way we work digitally now has completely changed, which in turn is changing consumer habits around how they consume and how they purchase their food. So people having, the fact that people, they're, they're not going to be commuting. Like move, even post-code, people are going to be spending a lot more time working from home. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. That's going to happen. So people having a lot more time at home uh, because they're not on the road traveling to and from work. They're going to be preparing meals uh, a lot more elaborately and, and using different ingredients than they would have done in the past. People are not going to go to restaurants as much. So obviously, they're going to be entertaining at home. That's where, you know, kills crisps, large sharing bags with a bottle of wine. That's the type of occasions that we see now coming to the fore that are going to be so important to our business moving forward. Yeah. Mike, can I ask you about uh, the extra costs that you're going to face in the business now around uh, social distancing, around, uh, you know, uh, personal protective equipment? Uh, will the consumer... Um, or, or what's your thoughts on, you know, price and extra cost in the business, maybe lower demand or maybe uh, reduced capacity, but it, 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 it generally tends to mean one thing, which would be price increase, which can be very difficult in a depressed market. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, unfortunately, all, you know, PP and et cetera, all it does is add cost. Um, uh, personally, I think we have to face up to the reality of a reduced margin because you must remember, you know, we're, we're producing a quality product. It's a high-end product. It's not necessarily a cheap product. And it's not a time to be, you know, forcing a prices increase, even though all our suppliers are giving us some price increases. But um, I think it's time for a steady head. Um, you know, it's time for us to be, obviously, it's a new way of working for us. We've had to split our shifts out, you know, where you're not as efficient. Um, and, um, but I think it's time to, you know, hold steady. And, um, you know, in terms of trying to take out costs, we've already been doing that with Lean Program, etc. And um, I think, you know, the, the new way of working is just going to add costs. Yeah. Um, and we certainly won't be making, you know, too many changes um, in the next while. I, I do I do fear and I, I with all the work that's happening, you know, um, I think I do fear, you know, the next July and August, you know, might be an opportunity. July and August will be pretty OK, I think. I think you'll have some level of food service back on track for those months. But, you know, not to be negative, I do think quarter one of 2021 is going to be it's a car crash waiting to happen. 
Um, so I think, you know, for us, you know, we, ha- we we don't want to make too many drastic changes, even though we are working very, very, as Tom talked about, how we can adapt very quickly, you know, based on a lot of the evidence and the, the, the research from the likes of, of, of Borbia, you know, we are, we're, what we're doing, instead of mourning and focusing on the issues and the extra cost, we're actually working very hard on, on, on you know, our more added value products because we, as, as you said earlier, in, like Tom, he's got a number of strings to his bow. So have we. But yeah. we're now focusing more on the, the the retail products. So we're not we're not thinking about cost. We're not going to complain about it. In fact, you know, um, um, I think it was Warren Buffett who talked about, you know, um, in times of difficulty, it's important to be to be strong, and we're going to be brave while those around us are fearful. And we're going well to well said, well said. We're, we're going to, we're going to plow on. We have a big investment plan for early next year. Actually, it was to happen this this this, this side of Christmas. We pull it out to March of next year, and it's 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 a fairly serious move for us as a company. But I mean, they're the kind of things we are looking at. We're not looking at the negatives. And price increase, I'd love it, but the reality is, you know, even our sales in the UK, we do a lot of business in Sainsbury's. We found that, you know, um, luckily we survived because a lot of the uh, the luxury products were taken off shelf. You know, they they they, they even. Uh, I suppose products that were being sold into retailers, the, you know, the, the depots were looking after the essential products. But we look to survive. So I think price increase is certainly not now, not for now. You know? Yeah, Tara, could I ask your thoughts on on competitiveness? Just, you know, the uh, just that reality of all these extra costs on producers, and you know, trying to remain competitive in what is and will be, I'd suggest, a depressed marketplace challenge and I think a lot of companies if we go back to that original conversation we had Bobby on uh, looking at Brexit and preparing for Brexit a lot of our client companies looked at their cost structure looked at um, how they could manage that as much as possible um, and try to prepare for worst case scenarios within that. Clearly um, this black swan event I think is, is another whether it's Dracula or black swans that we're talking about is something that was you know, a, a huge impact to, the, to all businesses and was would have been very, very difficult to predict, you know, who in all of the risk registers that you're working through uh, in life would have had a global pandemic on the um, on your top 10. Yeah. And when, when you try and navigate your way through this, there is going to be a new normal, but it's trying to see how you can position yourself within that new normal. Because, you know, there, there is, and I, as I mentioned earlier, there is going to be a, a search to value there isn't going to be just a search to value. So people are going to look at quality, like our tracking already and and building on some of the points that Tom made earlier about um, people eating at home. When people are eating at home, they're eating better. They're actually looking for quality products. They're sourcing, whether that's quality assured products, whether that's uh, trout like Mags produces, they're looking to eat well. And, And even we're seeing as well that they're looking to um, protect themselves by eating well because, you know, you can wear a face mask to protect yourself on the outside, but how do you protect yourself on the inside? Well, there's an increasing belief among consumers that's through eating well and that's through eating quality product, which people, I think, have a connection that you, you, you know, price matters, you get what you pay for. And when you invest in your food products, then you, you hope that you'll get a better result from that. So it's not just about price. It's about doing things well. And all of the time, Bobby, I suppose I'm boring you at this stage. No, you're not. You're not. The consumer is looking for. Uh, Tom, uh, the boils, the, the, the traditional boil spud has transitioned to Delmonica, Dauphinoise or Leonese potatoes. So everybody's up their game at home on the potato preparation front. Uh, are you optimistic that that will continue? Definitely, definitely, <laughs> yeah. I think, as Tara said earlier on, 66 days to, to change a habit. And, you know, God only knows what we would have had to try and spend on a marketing campaign to increase the consumption of potatoes to what it's got to today. But uh, people have returned back to the potato for various different reasons. You know, it's healthy, it's convenient. And uh, I, 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 I think this is a trend that, that's going to continue uh, for, the, for, the next, for the next few years. I think the generation in Ireland has, has, has just refound their association with, with, with potatoes and realised what a convenient food it is. Tom, just before we go, um, your, your wife is a nurse. I know you were very involved in... Uh, in helping the uh, frontline healthcare staff. Just wanted to give that a shout out. Can you tell us a little bit about what you did? 
Oh yeah, thanks very much, Bobby. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose very early on in this crisis, um, you know, I suppose sitting at home looking at pictures of uh, the Italian hospitals on the, on the news at night, and uh, yeah, my wife's a nurse, a lot of lots of nurses uh, in the family and, and and friends here that are involved in healthcare, and I suppose. I really want to do something about it uh, because these people were just uh, going head on, um, not even taking, uh, you know, not taking their own uh, safety uh, into concern and just uh, doing the best they could to to fight this crisis. And um, what I, I actually went out first of all, we wanted to to support some charities, but we actually found that there was very very few charities out there that would actually get something directly into the hand of a of a frontline healthcare worker. So when we seen that, we said, okay, maybe there's something we can do about this. So I went, I went to the marketing team here and I said, right, guys, uh, sales are up. Uh, we're, we don't need to market crisps or potatoes. Let's start trying to do something to, to help out here. So we put our heads together and in the space of about two weeks, we developed uh, the Ireland Thanks You uh, fundraising campaign. And it's very, very simple in that people can go to the Ireland Thanks You website, irelandthanksyou.ie, and uh, they can place a donation there. Um, and for every 25 euro donation, you can actually redeem a free T-shirt. All the costs have been covered by my own business here. And for every donation that's made, it goes directly to a frontline healthcare worker. And how much have you raised, Tom? We're up to 100,000 euro at the moment. Isn't that fantastic? So, so what we're doing is we're, uh, we're, we've created an Ireland Thanks You uh, voucher to the value of 100 euro. So we're in the process of giving 1,000 frontline healthcare workers around the country 100 euro vouchers. Uh, and that's under the guidance of the HSE, who have been fantastic in working with us. With okay. Yeah. Well, listen, well done to you and well done to your organisation. That's a great initiative. I'd like to thank my guests, uh, Tom Kyo, the founder and managing director of Kyo's Crisps, Tara McCarthy, the CEO of Board Bia, and Mag Kerwin, a producer at Goatbridge Farm uh, down there in Thomastown in South Kilkenny. Next week, we're going to be focusing on the tech industry, so make sure and keep an eye out for that. And don't forget to subscribe at newstalk.com. Uh, or on the News Talk app. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning.